You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. It's a Cooley and Kevin Monday here uh, on a very snowy, rainy, sleety Monday morning here in D.C. But Cooley, we are going to be 60 degrees on Wednesday. What is the weather uh, where you live? A lot of people enjoyed our discussion about survivability in the Texas situation and, <laughs> and what would constitute danger versus safety. Um, how cold was it out in Wyoming this weekend? It was not bad. Okay. It was not bad. It, so this was crazy, okay? It's not a little on Saturday, especially in the mountains. And we went skiing. I was so sore. I've been skiing with the kids a couple weekends, but this is the first weekend my daughter had ski school and I kind of went off with a little bit by myself and, and my aunt Cindy came up and she's actually a really good skier. She's in her sixties and she's probably as good as I am. Your aunt, your aunt Cindy came up. Yeah. My aunt Cindy came up. (laughs) Where does, where where does aunt Cindy live? She lives. Um, she actually lives across the street from the radio station where I am right now. and uh and pal oh okay cool yeah and, and aunt cindy's uh-huh. a good skier there i was very impressed right i've okay. never skied with aunt cindy right all right well i mean so, and th- so but this was crazy we get back today is supposed to be like the real warm-up day okay it's it was 44 degrees when i pulled in to the radio station today winds blowing about 90 miles an hour they canceled school for the first time this year because of the wind yeah no snow, but the wind has blown massive drifts all over the roads. Ah. <laughs> well, so pissed. Oh, man. Well, that's, you know, out west, that's where you, the high winds and the drifting snow, you don't get that in cities. You don't get, you can get blowing and drifting snow with big snowstorms and heavy nor'easter winds, but there isn't. The ability for it to just completely shut down highways as the blow, blowing and drifting is is coming across open highways with nothing on either side of it. You know, it's it's pretty hard for that to happen in a big city. What what that I think that probably is pretty cool to drive through, isn't it? Yeah, it, well, it is cool. If it snows more, you get bigger drifts. But coming in today, out of nowhere, you have a patch of thirty yards on the road. With two feet of snow in it mm. for just 30 yards. You're like, Burr! make that sound, you know, because yeah. I don't know why I did that. I don't but uh, <laughs> that's what it felt like in my head as I went through the drifted snow. Okay. And then you're back on the regular road again. So you got to be paying attention a little bit. Yeah. I, I don't know. It'd be pretty cool for about five minutes. I honestly, it's been so cold here, Kev. And I got a garage full of crap, and I need to do a cleanup day a little bit. Right. I was kind of banking on today to have a day to take some stuff away, move some stuff around in the garage, open the doors, clean it out. I don't know if I can. Do you have a project? I know you don't have a project every day. Every day. Every day you have a project? Every day right now. What was your project yesterday? I am building a shelving and desk into my office area which is small 
So we had had a bookcase in there and another desk and just the furniture you buy. This is kind of a weird little room because we changed the layout of my house where the stairs go and moved the stairs to the corner where that office is. Nothing really fits in there. So I built an office into it, Hmm. which took me some time, way too much time. Um, That said, this is astounding. Not that anyone really cares. But if you look at lumber costs right now, it's unbelievable, dude. Like we want to build a new house out here next year, but we're probably going to end up waiting another year. For is, example, is it pandemic sh- driven? Yeah, I think it is because of the production of lumber out of Canada and stuff, and the demand and the lack of getting lumbered everywhere. Well, I think something else would make sense. Let me just throw this at you, and I don't know if this is true or not. But during the pandemic, a lot of people have been doing a lot of home projects home repairs and home projects and yep. and that's probably increased the demand well i think that's increased the demand i think that the interest rate on home loans and new home loans and home build sure. has been way down and so everybody started building yeah tons of people building homes but the production's down as well my for example a sheet of birch plywood mm-hmm. i never remember paying more than 50 dollars at home depot 45 what is it now well if you buy it in cody or powell it was 110 dollars. jesus god so to billings you... i think it was i think i could have got it for like 75 at this point got him i went to billings and got some the other day that's the big city yeah hundred thousand people in billings yeah and i was a little short so i had to go buy another piece and i need another piece and i whatever it's a it's a lot it's crazy but i did that and then i told you about this you have to have chinking on a log house it's you have to have what look up chinking for a log home is that a politically correct term it is yes it is a politically correct term it's it's like a thick epoxy like caulk that goes caulk that goes in between all the logs and all the seams right the inside of my house had never had any chinking. Mm. Now, I had only been here in the summertime. And I had noticed that my house wasn't staying cool throughout the day, but I just thought that's, you know, if I build a new house here, I'm putting in an AC unit. But when we when it started to get cold out here and the wind started to blow a little bit, you could feel wind blowing through the cracks of the locks. Oh, well, you can't have that. No, no. But it's hard. You, it's like a you got to lay a big thick line of chinking through all the logs and then meet all or all the windows meet and then you got to make it smooth and nice and it takes forever, dude. Forever. Mm. So I've been chinking and building cabinets for space in our house, which is a, a daily project here for the last two months. When you go to Billings, you just take uh, you just take three ten north. <laughs> the three ten. <laughs> What'd you say? The 310. The 310. Do you take the 310 north? Just looking at a map. Um, how many miles is Billings from Cody? 90. Yeah. You go out of Ralston. So you got to go from my little town. So you got to look up Ralston to Billings. There's a back door cutoff that that gets you there a little bit quicker. So. I see the Red Lodge um, uh, ski resort that you go to. That's closer than Billings. It's about a halfway between where you live and Billings. Roughly. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. I like it's about halfway, but you don't go through Red Lodge. I love maps. I I really like maps. Bypass that. 
I really like maps. Um, how far is Bozeman from you? Because Bozeman, Bozeman's beautiful, right? Uh, yeah. Bozeman is Bozeman's boom. Bi- Bozeman's Bozeman big is, sky, is like right? One of the, yeah, it's one of the big boom towns. Right. In the last twenty years, it's blown up. It's the new Jackson Hole. Yeah. Real estate in Bozeman's astronomical. It's another mini California town now. When you look at housing prices. Yeah, that I, 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 my father's been out to Big Sky a bunch to hunt and fish and stuff, and he always flies into Bozeman and he says it's beautiful. Yeah, Bozeman's a lot of Montana's beautiful. Yeah, Bozeman is 193 miles. Where's Helena? Helena's uh, up there in the middle of Montana. I went to Helena a few years ago. Helena's a cool town. Mm-hmm. Helena is exactly three hours to get to for me. That's the state capital. Of Montana, it, it sure is. You know, you um, know and the river runs through it. They had to go down to Helena to do some business at the Capitol building. I actually want to take some trips this summer through all of Montana and stuff. You know, a lot of the last few years we've always done Yellowstone and around this area, and Montana is really cool. And we haven't done it, so I want to take the family also to Southern Utah, which is cool. I was reading over the weekend about massive avalanche problems in Utah in particular. Everywhere. There's been a lot of them. Have you had issues in Wyoming? Well, you don't have issues if you're not going into those areas. Yeah, right. Yeah, like people that snowmobile. Don't they refer to it as the high country? (laughs) Sure. Speaking, (laughs) you know, based on our conversation of last week. What? I have a friend who's on the search and rescue. Oh, really? Justin is on the search and rescue here. So is his dad, Mike. And we... For avalanche victims? No. Two kids went up in the high country in their early 20s, got lost on Thursday night. So apparently they were looking for some cabin. I guess on the path they were on, at times before they got finally stuck... There was cell phone service every once in a while. So they'd called their mom late on Thursday night and said, hey, look, we're looking around for this cabin. We haven't gotten there yet. Don't worry. We're going to find it. They didn't find them until yesterday afternoon. Were they or, mach- or excuse me, Saturday afternoon. And? They were live. Mm. And so how they did- made it Thursday night, Friday night, and most of Saturday. How did they stay alive? I don't know the Ketchup answer. Ketchup packets? Backwards. Sopranos. Mustard I don't think, packets. I don't think you have to eat. To stay alive for no, two you days. But you got to stay warm. You got to stay warm. That's, that's for damn sure. You got to stay warm. Uh, I'm not ready to go in the high country by myself in the wintertime yet. No. Because I don't recognize it. You know, um, this is not high country. But for those that live around these parts, you know, the um, especially for you Marylanders, who are familiar with Deep Creek Lake in that area. Wisp is the ski resort, two and a half hours, two hours and 20 minutes. Anyway, for many years, we we would go up there two, three times a year, more than that. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law had a house up there. It was great. And my brother-in-law, you've never met him. You would love him. He's got, you know, all of the, you know, all of the toys. I mean, snowmobiles and four-wheelers and everything. And, you know, there were... Uh, obviously, <laughs> we're talking about probably the highest of elevations. Uh, elevation there is, I'm going to guess, 3,500 feet, maybe 4,000 feet. 
in the western panhandle of Maryland where, you know, the average snowfall in Deep Creek Lake is 120 inches a winter. Like it's the, they get all the lake effect snow, part of that whole lake effect thing on the Appalachians all the way down, you know, um, uh, the sort of the east coast or the Appalachian spine. Anyway, um, Several times in, I, I loved it to, I loved being up there in the winter, especially when it was, you know, going to snow the entire weekend. And we would jump on four wheelers, especially when the kids were young and my oldest probably more so than the other two, cause they were, they were young at the time. And we would jump on that four wheeler and we'd head up in the high country in like heavy, heavy snow, trying to follow trails, but you know, eventually you would sort of maybe lose track of the trail because the snow was coming down so hard. So you were in the high country without a trail trying to figure it out. Now, you weren't lost gonna, on Backbone Mountain. You weren't going to you weren't going to um freeze to death and you had cell phone coverage, so you were okay. Um but I remember just how desolate and how first of all, I I, I kind of love that whole feeling. And they you know there's there's a lot of wildlife up there, a lot of black bears in particular. Um, but, you know, it's wintertime. You know, you're more likely than not, they're hibernating, right? Um, so uh, I hope so. I hope so. But I, I just remember being like at the very top of some of these mountaintops out there on a four-wheeler in a driving snowstorm and turning around to see if I could see sort of the trail that we came up with, came up on, and it would already be snow-covered. So it would be a little bit dicey. I remember one or two, once or twice I was like, I don't think I'm going the right way. I better figure out a way to get back down. And you just find a way to go down. And on a four-wheeler, you can pr- pretty much run over anything. But I remember going through some you know, tricky you know, logs and big old trees that had fallen down and trying to navigate my way back down. And when I got back down, I tried to act like there was never any worry. Uh, but I think there was a moment where I was like, you know, it's cold. It's like 10 degrees. It's snowing sideways. We're bundled up, but we better get to a, a, we better get somewhere soon because I think my oldest at the time was like eight, but I, where are we? Oh, we're good. We're, we're fine. Look at that. Isn't that fun? Remember we we passed this on the way up. Yeah. And then it, this particular time, it was also night. Which probably wasn't the smartest thing to do during no, a driving snowstorm, but it's you know ter- had the headlights idea. and the whole thing. But it was a lot of fun, and then we got back and had hot chocolate and sat by the fire, and we were we were no worse for the wear. There you go. You you made it. I do yeah. I I do kind of like that. I, I the bitter bitter cold that you have out there, the thirty below. It's, that's not fun for anybody. That's not common though. I know, but but it is common in but the zero high is country common or the back country, the back country or the high country. Yes. Deep Creek Lake, or uh, excuse me, <laughs> Backbone Backbone Mountain. Is that the name of the mountain? Uh, I mean, it's at Deep is Creek the Lake. The highest in up, elevation is what? 3,360 3, feet above sea level. 3,360. Okay. The lake itself, Deep is 2,700. Deep Creek is 2,455. Okay. Says this site. Yeah. I mean, of 10 fun facts about. Deep Creek Lake. Yeah, I mean, like, unless you're in Vermont where you might have, you know, five and 6,000 feet elevation, you know, Snowshoe, West Virginia, which is part of that whole chain in that, you know, area of the country, you know, which is, you know, basically the um, Deep Creek Lake and that whole Appalachian chain. Snowshoe, if you look it up, look this up, I think Snowshoe's like almost 5,000 feet. I 48, think- 48. Is it forty eight forty eight? Yeah. 
I think that's the highest elevation along that, at least in the mid-Atlantic anyway. Um, and Snowshoe has the highest sno- annual snowfall of any of those places out west. Wisp, I think, averages like 120 inches. But when you get into Snowshoe, which is like, is that Elkins, West Virginia, Cooley? What what part of West Virginia is that? I don't I know. Don't know. Um, it's... Uh, they probably average like 170 inches. I bet you the snowshoe average snowfall. And keep in mind, that place is no more than three hours away from, from D.C. Snowshoe average snowfall. I bet it's well north of 150 inches. That's a lot of snow. It is a lot of snow. It's all lake effect snow. 180 inches is the average snowfall for, for snowshoe West Virginia. That's a boatload of snow. I know it is. It's, because it, there's a little town in Montana where everyone snowmobiles, Cook City, where there's a ton of snow every year. Yeah. The average in Cook City is 194. Yeah, 180. Montana, I mean, right out of Yellowstone. I mean, Wisp is 120 or whatever, and it just seemed like it was going – when you went up there in the winter, it was going to snow. It was just a matter of how much it was going to snow. And it's all because of the Lake Erie lake effect – you know, the, the winds that come off Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. Lake, Lake Ontario is the one that's Buffalo and, um, and upstate New York. And then Lake Erie is the one that comes down and gets Cleveland and gets Pittsburgh and it gets all the areas in Pennsylvania and then gets all of those mountainous areas, which include the Maryland Mountains, the West Virginia Mountains, the Virginia Mountains, all the way down to places like Asheville, North Carolina, Asheville, I'm going to guess, is 3,000 to 4,000 feet above uh, sea level elevation, something like that. That's beautiful, that area, Asheville. Gorgeous. And they get a lot of snow, too. Are you looking up the elevation for Asheville, North Carolina? I'm not. I'm looking at the highest snowfall, annual snowfall. In the country? Different places. Yeah, because it seems like around here, it's a lot of snow in that town I talked about, like Cook City. That's it's about two hundred inches a year. Like Alta, Utah, or Park City is yeah. three hundred to four hundred. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, and then Mount Rainier. Oh yeah. The average snowfall is six hundred and seventy-one inches. Yeah, I mean, fifty-six feet a year. Yeah. At that altitude. Seriously. Yeah. Plus, out, ocean effect. Out. Yeah, exactly. It's the Pacific Ocean storms that dump out over those high altitudes in the winter time that you end up with just like I, I have. Um, God, who did this? Uh, who else did this? It may have been Buck. I think Buck's interested in this too. If I have if I have that incorrect, I'll, he'll tell me. Um, but you, if you go on some of the weather sites, like just like the National Weather Service site, and you you go to the forecast for some of those places when they have those big storms, like out west, and you'll get you know uh, you know it'll say uh, tonight heavy snow. Uh, 13 degrees, accumulations 36 to 47 inches. (laughs) Then tomorrow, snow, heavy at times, 40 to 45 inches. Like, for some of those storms out west, if you find the weather forecast for those certain altitudes of, you know, 12,000, 13, 14,000 feet and higher, it's just unbelievable. No one can live there at the top. You know, you live in the towns at the bottom of those 
peaks. But even in those towns out west, whether this they're, they're ski towns like Vale or Aspen or Steamboat and places like that, you're still at, at you're still a mile high. You're more than a mile high. I mean, Denver's a mile high. And I would guess like in places like Vale and like you said, Alta and in places in Utah, Deer Valley, Park City, you're probably six, seven thousand feet above sea level, right? Even in the town. Before you get on a, you know, on a gondola and go to the top of a mountain to ski down. I don't know. Yeah, I'm getting, no, Alta, Utah is 8,500 feet. 8,500. Wow. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Weather talk. Um, Over. Over, man. Um, I, we, we, I knew you would talk to me about this before we started the show, but I watched your team. Maryland? They looked. They look pretty good. Big win, Kevin. Like, huge win. They turned it on. Before you get into the game, one thing I just found really funny, because I haven't watched a lot of college basketball, on and off, but I watched a lot of this game. Dude, it look, It sounds like an AAU gym when you watch it on TV. I know. It is so weird. Like, they constantly hear one person yell or say something. It's crazy. Well, it's very funny that you you just said an AAU gym. Um, actually, some of the AAU gyms are huge, depending on where you're playing. But yesterday, and, and I'll get to Maryland's win, and then we do have to get into Peter King, who put out a bunch of information on what it would take to get Deshaun Watson if Houston makes him available, including what Washington uh, would offer. But yesterday, um, I'm on the phone with with uh, with Scott, and he uh, he's like, who do you have today? And I said... This was early in the day, and I go, I have Niagara getting five against Siena. Okay, and, and, so, and, and so I had Niagara on Saturday getting five, and they won outright. And then they came back, and they were a, a four-and-a-half-point favorite the next day, and, I, and you could see a lot of people were like, well, Siena lost to him yesterday. They'll beat him today, and they'll cover. So I took Niagara again, bought the half-point to five. Anyway, the game's coming down the stretch, and they, it, they're down four with like a minute to go, and it was on ESPN+. Plus. And so... I'm on the phone and he's like, well, you got to watch the final minute. And so, you know, I, I, I pull up ESPN plus on my computer and <laughs> the gym that Niagara plays in, first of all, like these smaller division one schools play in tiny places. I mean, places that hold, you know, 2,500 to 3,500 people. But when they're empty, it looks like you're at a CYO gym on a Saturday afternoon. I mean, that's what it looks like. Like, look, literally, you know, you've got the fold-up stands that are folded up. Yeah. You know, and, you know, literally it's like, oh, why, uh, somebody somebody let their sister out on the floor. we got to stop the game. we got to get little you know, little Annie off the floor. She just ran right out in the middle of the game. She um, just thinks she can go take a <laughs> shot. It's crazy. I mean, we do this at home, and she now she just goes out. And <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, sorry about that. So – I, I literally, we're laughing, and I just, and he just said to me, he goes, my God, you, think about the issue that you have. You have real money on Niagara University getting five at home in a CYO gym. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess that is problematic. By the way, they covered. Uh, it's, they real, lost. I think it's real, real basketball. 
They lost by two. Well, that's a, the league is a good league. Siena's you know been a really good team over the years. That Jimmy Patzos coached in that league, coached Siena for sure. for several years. It's a very good league. It's got good teams. It's just those gyms. You know, my high school gym, Cooley, held three thousand people. We had a dome. Um, Walt Whitman High School, uh, go back to the 80s. Many of you who are from the area, they tore it down, I don't know, late 90s. They probably tore the dome down when they redid the school. But we played in a dome that held, I think it was 2,800, maybe 3,000 people if it was fully packed, which it never was. Although we did my senior year, we played Blair late in the season. They were ranked 10th in the city. And it was on a Friday night, and we had won five games in a row and were playing really well. And it was like half-filled, and it was it was probably the biggest crowd we had played in front of all year. It was a lot of people for a high school basketball game. But the old Whitman Dome, it was ugly. I know it was hideous, but it was our dome, and it would have been probably better to play in, in a more intimate gym. But anyway. Um, well, I mean, that's bigger than the Gallagher Center, which holds 2,400 people. Who plays in the Gallagher on Center? Niagara University. Is that campus. what it is? The Gallagher Center in Lewiston, New York. Is it twenty four hundred? Yeah. Wow. And when the stands aren't down and they're folded up, you know. Yeah, they can have like dances. Hey, in there jo- hey, it's Joe. Cool. We go, Joe. We got some people coming in today. You're gonna have to take those stand. Pull those stands out. We got some people coming. But you got to pull the back stands out too. No, not that many people. <laughs> no, not, not that many no, people. Not can... beyond the hoop. Nope. <laughs> Right. And then I think, you know, I I forget where this came up in conversation recently, but it's like, you know, the teams sort of arrive at the game and like, yeah, they're they're changing in the cafeteria. They're in the auxiliary uh, gym. They're in the auxiliary gym uh, training. They'll be out in a few minutes. They'll be out in a few minutes. I mean, you're betting on a game that I can only find highlights on on Facebook. (laughs) Is that true? Yeah, That's I'm sure you find them on ESPN Plus, but the first thing that came up for the highlights of this Niagara-Siena game was from Facebook. Well, I'll tell you, there was another game yesterday that a, a very good friend that I may have had a conversation with that I've already referred to had. Hold on one second, hold on. Yeah. Do you know the name of one player for Niagara? No. <laughs> okay. No. Okay. Um, yeah, you have a problem. Oh, if you put I, more than twenty bucks on that, there, game, you have a real, you got a real issue. Well, yeah, um, th- it was more, more than a hundred. It, it, it was, it was more, more than, than hundred. It was more than both of those numbers. Um, oh my god! But, but What's I had wrong with you. I had a friend yesterday who had a large wager on Sacred Heart <laughs> against. I think they were playing Saint Francis. I think they were. And I'm like, wait a minute. At least I'm betting an actual conference. Can you even name? Because actually, the, the MAC is the MMA, uh, MAAC, not the Mid American Conference, which is you know Toledo and Bowling Green and, and Ball State, et cetera, Miami of Ohio. This league has Niagara and Siena and and and, and um, <laughs> Fairfield and St. Peter's and. Monmouth. Monmouth has been a really good team. Iona. Sure. The Iona's in that league. That's where John. Uh, that's where Calipari's. Uh, Calipari. That's where Patino's coaching. Rick Patino's coaching there right now. Um, that's at least Sacred Heart. I cannot tell you what league they play in. I cannot. By the way, so I, I do. Um, I do want to get into something real quickly, and I'll, and I'll talk about the Maryland game, and then I want to. Sacred sec- Heart covered. I know they did. I know it was a winner. Um, What's happened, Cooley? There's, it's not a trend here, so don't go chase this. 
But in this pandemic year, a lot of teams are playing back-to-backs in the same gym in back-to-back days to get in as many games without having to travel and and risk, obviously, you know, going to new places. So as an example, that Niagara game was the a back-to-back with Siena. They played Siena on Saturday, and they were getting five, and they won out right. I had them. And then they played Siena again. And a lot of people, I've got a lot of friends of mine, a lot of my degenerate friends, that, have, that are absolutely convinced. And by the way, I hear a different theory every time. If you take the team that lost the first night on the second in the, in the, in the back-to-back, it's hitting at like 60%. I doubt, I doubt it is. And then I had another friend call me and tell me, here's the key. That second of the back-to-backs, just take the under. They, they're, they're exhausted. They figured each other. And I, I'm telling you, none of that shit works consistently. Oh my but anyway, God. Um, Maryland played uh, Rutgers yesterday. I've said this to, you know, to all of the 300 or 400 knuckleheads on all the message boards, um, Maryland message boards that, that rip, you know, rip people like me who have been pro-Turgeon, pro-Mark Turgeon. Mark's doing an incredible job this year. He really is. He's a good coach. He's always been a good coach. He is having an excellent season. He's getting, you know, he's getting his team to play its best basketball at the end of the year and he's getting more out of less. And it's not that they don't have talent. They do. They just are in a league that is so good. If anybody watched the Ohio State Michigan game yesterday, oh my god, what a basketball game that was. I mean, these are uh, either team could win the national championship. They'll both be number 1 seeds. I mean, this league is not just a league that top to bottom's really strong but doesn't have a great team. They've got two number one seeds and four teams minimum that people will pick to get to the final four in Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, and Illinois. And then you go down, you know, Penn State goes to Iowa yesterday and they're in a dogfight down the stretch against Iowa. And and Penn State's the, the 12th best team in the league. Anyway, Maryland played really well. They're very good defensively. Um, he has really figured it out. Um, I'm really happy for him. Um, he's done this before. People don't ever want to give him credit for it, but he, you know, he figures his team out and the best way for them to play and the best way for them to play is to play, uh, you know, uh, fewer possessions, really good defense, try to hold the opponent to 60 or less, you know, and now they're getting better offensively. Anyway, um, I'm happy for them. They are solidly in the tournament right now. No questions asked. Could they play their way out of the tournament? They could. You know, none of these three games that they have left are going to be easy, um, but they're probably one win away from solidifying being in the tournament. And if they were to win two of their final three or all three, I mean, you're going to see on Selection Sunday for those that thought that they didn't, they, when I was telling you a week, two weeks ago that they were still in the hunt, it's going to look like they were never in doubt because they'll probably be like a seven or an eight seed at that point um, if we get there. Maryland has more uh, quad one games played and has five quad one wins, 12th in the nation. Maryland has four quad one road wins, second in the nation. Second. They're, they're, the metrics on them, they're, th- they're 30th in Ken Palm. I think they're 30th in the, in the net, which I'm going to have a comment about here uh, in a moment. Um, they're really the, – Mark's doing a phenomenal job. And I'll just say it again. I said it last week in the podcast. Damon Evans, Evan, Evans, the athletic director, should give him an, a contract extension now. I don't care what happens the rest of the year. You, you can do so much worse than Mark. He's a good coach who's improving as a coach. 
Anyway, gives me a Can chance. Can you tell your story? Yeah, it, it gives me a chance to get into this story. So, <laughs> I can't. I'm going to start. I have something off of your story. <laughs> so I texted. Uh, typically, if I text him, it's after a loss that they that they. I, I, I try not to be the guy that that'll send. I, I rarely text him. I mean, we'll keep your head up, coach. Yeah. Played hard. You, you know team, what? Keep your head up. You know what? You coached a great game. That was a winnable game. You guys are headed in the right direction. And I only do it when I really feel sincere about it. And usually, if I if I text him, it's usually after a tough loss. Like, don't you're doing the right thing. It looks good. You're you're, you're I mean, that's a good team you played, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I texted him um, this morning, and I just said, "Hey, you're 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 coaching your ass off." You're doing such a great job, and the team is so much fun to watch. Say hello to Ann, his wife, and kids, and you know, talk soon. And he sends me a text back, and he goes, "Don't jinx us." You know, he is definitely superstitious. He goes, "Yeah, we're playing well and with more confidence, you know, and hope you and the family are well and whatever." And so when he when he wrote, "Don't jinx me," I said, "Okay, I won't jinx you." Um, I don't like your unforced turnovers. And then I gave him a list of the things that I think I don't like. <laughs> I said, read it again. I go, I go, Hamilton needs to shoot nothing else. Dante Scott should take more of those open threes, even if it's early in a possession, even though I know you hate early shots um, in possessions. Um, I like Ayala in the post uh, more than you're using him. I like Daryl in the short corner, Wiggins at the high post middle against a 2-3 zone. I said I'd use more screening against man-to-man pressure. Use your best ball handler as your screener because the screener is the one that's always open against pressure. Um, they don't screen a lot against man-to-man pressure. Um you know, and I and then I and then I wrote, of course, you know, it's tongue placed in cheek, although they were very good suggestions. And I said, no, seriously, you're excellent. I, I, I wish I still, you know, and I said, if I were still coaching as much as I used to, which I'm not, I would be recording every single one of your plays that you run after a timeout because I'm telling you he draws up phenomenal plays after timeouts that almost always result in like a great look with the right guy so after sending him that he writes back love the feedback and I I know him well enough to know how sarcastic that was because he's he's got a very sarcastic sense of humor and he was probably smiling like yeah thanks bud appreciate it um, and of course, I just sent back a smiling, laughing emoji. Um, he's doing a hell of a job, man. Hell of a job. What were you going to say? You should have. You should have sent a smiling, laughing emoji, and then a right next to that a serious face emoji. <laughs> <laughs> I told you about the time that I sent Norv Turner a Federal Express, right? We talked about it like a week ago. Yeah, yeah. We're telling him that he needs to let people score when he's if only. North down would have a cell phone that day. If he only had a cell phone in nineteen, well, he probably did. He probably his phone probably just didn't text at that time. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm I'm proud of of them. Um, I really enjoy watching them. Um, and those of you that honestly, you know, get on message boards yesterday and say things like, "Oh, great, now we're going to make the tournament," which means he's going to be back. You guys are insufferable. I mean, just insufferable. You're not. I, I'm, I don't. I don't want to say that you're not true fans because true fans can be critical and you can have strong opinions. But most of you wouldn't be able to identify man-to-man versus zone defense. Trust me. Anybody that knows basketball even a little bit thinks he can coach, 
Okay, is he elite? Is he truly like one of the elite coaches in college basketball? And by the way, he coaches against some of them in that league. Um, No. Is he in the next category of pretty damn good? Yes. And you could do a lot effing worse. The other aspect of it is if he's in the elite category, it means he's spending 80% of his time recruiting, which he probably is anyways, but he's getting those dudes. He needs that's to get more get, dudes. That's where the elite guys come in. They get the elite dudes. It's just like college football. 20% of it's drawn up schemes and coaching. You Talk know, to any of these coaches. It's all recruiting now. It is all recruiting. Coaching you, in college would suck. You know what? That's Okay, so there's no doubt that you're right about that. You know, it's the Jimmys and the Joes versus the X's and O's saying um, that's true. In, in, you got to get the Jimmys to play. You, you, but – That's not how I personally evaluate whether or not a guy's a great coach, even though, by the way, Cooley, to your point, recruiting is such a significant part of the job, and he has recruited well, and at times very well. He had a rough recruiting offseason last year, which is why they came in with not a full, you know, uh, a full cupboard of of players and and more depth. He he struck out on a lot of guys, especially transfers, that he thought he had a chance to get. And most teams, when they lose, you know, the number ten pick in the draft, Jalen Sticksmith, and they use a four and they lose a four year point guard, in Anthony Cowan, who played a hundred and started a hundred and thirty games, a team that may have very easily could have made a deep run into the tournament. I'm talking about a Final Four type of run. They were that good last year. Didn't get to do that because of the pandemic. And if he had done that, then all of these conversations would be moot, would be moot because he, he would have been extended right away. Um, but my, I don't evaluate coaches. I should on recruiting because it's so important. But I, I'm really when – I, when I watch a coach, I'm watching him to see – how he coaches, what he has, you know, and whether or not I think, you know, based on my opinions, they they do things well or not. Like, you know, just in the Big Ten alone, Izzo's just flat out one of the best. He's always been one of my favorite coaches, if not my favorite coach, other than Maryland's coaches, you know, like Gary, obviously. I mean, we named the te- one of the teams that I coached for many years the Spartans. Now, I let the kids, you know, I, I threw the Spartans in there as one of the choices, and they ended up picking it. I was glad because I just love the way Izzo coaches. Matt Painter, to me, is one of the best coaches, um, X's and O's. Purdue's always good. Purdue's always good. They don't typically have the best talent, although they've got some talent this year, man. John Beeline, when he was at Michigan, was excellent. One of the top coaches just in the Big Ten. I mean, Holtman can coach. Um, uh, guard at Wisconsin can really coach. I think Peichel can really coach at Rutgers. You know, they, they there have been some just excellent coaches in the B- Big Ten, and there are some excellent coaches, obviously, in the ACC as well and other leagues. Um, but I, I, I do tend to look at the guys that don't have the most talent and usually view them coolly as better coaches, and maybe it's just my bias towards looking for the the guys that sort of overachieve. And when you when you're loaded each year like Kentucky is, like North Carolina is, like Duke is, like Villanova now is every year, you know, you better be winning thirty games and be you know be in the final four, or you've sort of underachieved. Like 
A guy like Rick Barnes, to me, love watching him coach. Um, a guy like Mark Few at Gonzaga, love watching him coach. Now, they've, they've got talent. You know, I actually think Calipari can really coach. You know, Shashevsky, there have been many years where I've been like, I, I, I don't really understand what he's doing. I, I think they have underachieved a ton during the course of his coaching career. But he, I, I think he's always been a very good defensive coach. Anyway, um, uh, remember, I remember we, we ran into Turge last spring. I was playing golf with you. Right. And he was distraught because he had taken two or three trips out west to see a kid and thought he was going to commit. Right. And then at the last minute that day, he, I think that day had gotten a text or a call, said, I'm not coming to Maryland, coach. Yeah. Which is, which is brutal. You know, it, the other thing that's crazy to me, it, it, Maryland can't be the easiest place to recruit to. And not because of conference or talent. That's just not a – no offense to your alma mater, but it's not the best campus atmosphere. It's kind of commuter. Okay. So – I don't know. Do, do you think you step on campus and go, this is where I belong when you get to Maryland? So – Beautiful facilities. It's really – God, you're bringing up something, and I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm not going to tell you who I've had these conversations with over the years, but but it's 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 really not important. So, you, you know, you've been with me out in College Park for games before, and we've spent time, you know, before and after games at Bentleys or wherever. And so you do have sort of a sense of the University of Maryland. And first of all, it is a beautiful campus, it, the campus itself. But to your point, it's not a college town. You know, College Park is not a college town. You know, it's not Blacksburg. It's not Charlottesville. You know, it's not one of these college towns where when a kid shows up, it's like, wow, this is kind of cool. Like the whole, like I've told you this before, my youngest son is at Penn State. And when I go up to State College, I'm, I'm blown away with just like, it's the whole, the whole town of State College is all about the university. Well, that's right. not what College Park is. College Park's in the middle of Prince George's County. And, you know, they're, you know, that the campus itself is gorgeous. Route one needs a lot of work and has gotten a lot of work over the years. Now, I think it's hurt them more in football recruiting over the years because, you know, some of the best football players in the area, first of all, Maryland hasn't had the tradition or the power, you know, in football or the, the, the potential in football um, that they've had in basketball. Basketball, though, it's got a lot of advantages in, in recruiting. It is, first of all, whether it was the ACC or the Big Ten, you're in one of the best leagues playing one of the best schedules, playing on television every single night. You are playing at a university that's won a national championship that has you know, steep tradition in basketball. It, it's a basketball first school. One of the things that every single Maryland coach has done over the years is, is when you bring a recruit to one of their home games, they are in awe at the atmosphere because it's one of the that, best. That is true. It's, it's one, amazing. It, it, it's one of the best. Um, the facilities are first rate, um, and so you can he you you can recruit. I mean, Maryland's you know under Turgeon's had some top five, top ten, top fifteen recruiting classes. I, I mean, his class coming in next year is a top twenty recruiting class. Maryland's had top five classes before with him, um, but 
But I know what you're saying, and I don't disagree with it. It's my alma mater, and I love it. And I, and I do, um, I do think you are right. Oh, I mean, I'll give you an example. Well, also, consider gonna, uh, in a, in a big way, a lot of times you're recruiting the parents. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you this story real quickly. Uh, five years ago, more than that, probably eight, nine years ago, one of my best friends. He lives in Connecticut. He said, "Hey, my brother's daughter." is a big-time field hockey recruit. She's being recruited by Maryland, and she's coming down with my brother and sister-in-law on her visit tomorrow. You know, will you talk to him and give him any, you know, advice? So I get on the phone with him, and and I said to him, I go, look, you're going to love the campus. She's going to love the campus. The field hockey program's dominant. I mean, they've won lots of national championships. And I said, but what I want you to do is I want you to rent a car, and I want you to drive off campus. I want you to take, you know, a 30-minute drive in every direction off campus and make sure that it's, you know, it, it's something that you're comfortable with. Because it there are some tough areas, you know, within a couple of miles of, of the university. And by the way, the university itself has had, you know, over the years, some issue with crime, not, not any different than any other major university has had. But I remember he called me and he said, that was really good advice. I really appreciate it. She ended up coming to Maryland and she ended up doing incredibly well. I think they won national championships. She was a really good player, you know, yada, yada, yada. But anyway, um, that would sort of speak to your point. I know what you're saying, you know. Route one is they've invested a lot into it, and it's much nicer than it was when I was in school. And by the way, Cooley, the university itself academically is so good; mm-hmm. it's so strong academically. It's so hard to get those, into. Well, none of the basketball or football players care about that. Uh, I understand that. One uh, in ten, maybe. Yeah, um, but anyway, um, I hear what you're saying. Uh, but but basketball's never had a problem attracting, you know, and being able to recruit players in terms of the kind of opportunity Maryland is as a basketball school. I think they've suffered more with football, although Loxley's killing it, you know, as a recruiter, killing it. Um, You know, this is going to be back-to-back top 20 classes, top 25 classes coming in. Anyway. uh, Especially in football, that's what makes you a good coach. You need the university. And you need the backing and you need the investment and funding and you need to allow your coaches to have the opportunity to go to places and you got to have the right system in place. And there's a lot of money that has to go into recruiting. And then you still have to have, you know, a decent team, a good campus. But in football, if you don't get dudes, you, you don't worry about it. You're not going to win. <laughs> exactly. It, I mean, basketball is a little different because there's only five guys. I mean, you don't exactly. have to get a ton of dudes. It's a lot different because of what you just said. It's, you know, it's five on five. It's not 11 on 11. It's not 22 on, you know, it's it's a lot different because if you can get one dude or you can get five dudes that, you know, and in and, and, and college basketball, you can control things like pace. Like there are things you can do with the right kind of players to sort of stay competitive, much different in football. You got yeah, you could have, have four. You could have four mismatches on the field at any given time, and you're done. Yeah, there's no scheming around four, five mismatches. <laughs> there's no scheming Which is like around. When Maryland plays Ohio State in football. It's like, yeah, what do you want us to do here? <laughs> they either they make a boat, boatload of mistakes and we capitalize, or we lose. But, but other he, than that, they're just better. I, I think that the the, the disparity um, is huge. 
However, I do think in football you can scheme up a competitive team, just not a team when you play the Ohio States and the Alabamas that you're yes. going to be able to beat. I mean, and I, then there's always there's also the money thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's I I don't know how much you and I talked about this, but what schools have the best Venmo guy? <laughs> Seriously, what? Uh, I mean, they all do it. Well, most of I'm not going to say they all do it, but you start talking to a lot of these guys, and they might not want to know about it. But who has a good Venmo guy? Who's the guy? Who? Where's Where's the Venmo guy? That's like you know. That's like the wolf in Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah, talk to the wolf over there. Yeah, he's he's got he's, the cat. You know what the cash the, app is? He's the fixer. He's the fixer. He's got it all. He's the guy that used to lose five hundred dollars under a rock, <laughs> or or on Niagara. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't five hundred dollars. <clears throat> um. Okay. What else? Uh, oh, one other quick col- – uh, I told you Michigan-Ohio State was fabulous. Um, so um, Maryland's like 30 in the Ken Palm. They're 30 in the net rankings. But Scott mentioned this to me over the weekend, and I had not seen this. These net rankings, Cooley, which you're not familiar with, are the NCAA advanced metric rankings, you know, whatever goes into it. And they basically – have what they call four quads. Quad one, quad two, quad three, quad four. Quad one is like, um, you know, your t- it's like your top f- 50 teams or top 30 when they're playing at home or top 50 if they're playing. It's it, whatever. Quad one's really good and quad four is really bad in terms of, of, of your team. Um, Scott said to me the other day, he goes, go look at the quad one rankings. I'm like, why? He goes, look at who number 10 is. And number 10, and they're not number 10 this morning, they're actually number 13 this morning, is Colgate from the Patriot League. And he said, I'm sorry, but any ranking that includes Colgate is the number 10 team in America to be 13. <laughs> How can you even take it seriously? Colgate is in the um, in the Patriot League, which is what uh, which is what Navy is in. They are 11-1, Colgate is. Navy's really good, too. Um, look... They are 11 and 1, man. I mean, they've beaten Army not once, not twice, but three times they've beaten Army. They, Army can't. They Army played them just, four. They can't keep up with Colgate. They, play, they played them four times because of the pandemic. They did lose to Army in a two point game. That's their one loss. They own four, uh, four wins over Boston University and four wins over Holy Cross. And somehow they're the number 13 team in America. How are they the number? I I don't, I have no idea. I have no idea how that's even possible. That doesn't make it. They didn't play one non-conference game. It's been all conference games. It's not like they upset in the, you know, they upset Baylor to open up the year or Gonzaga. They have only played four teams. Yeah, because of the pandemic. Army, Boston University, Holy Cross, Bucknell. I would really love an explanation as to why Colgate right now in the NCAA net rankings, which are a key component of determining NCAA tournament teams on Selection Sunday, which was three weeks ago yesterday, how Colgate is number 13 in the country. Well, they don't even need to make them 13. Colgate should win their conference tournament and be in. Well, Navy's, (laughs) Navy's really good. Navy's Colgate's, excellent 
and and they're in the same league. I mean, they're they're not getting in with this. No, they're not getting in unless they win this conference tournament. I mean, (laughs) no one's going to look at this. No one's going to look at these results. Somehow that got skewed. It was faulty. It seems totally fraudulent. It does. Um, One last thing, actually, before we get to the Peter King thing. I know we're going long on non-Washington football stuff, but I wanted to read this um, tweet from Steve. Steve tweeted me. He said, Kevin, you were too harsh on Jalen Johnson last week. You called him a quitter. That was ignorant. You can't quit something you're not getting paid to do. He owes Duke nothing. Um, Cooley, did we talk about this together? I know I talked about it with Tommy. Okay, so Jalen Johnson was a five-star recruit to Duke this year, okay? Um, He is going to be a lottery pick in the NBA draft. And last week he opted out of the rest of the season, about a week and a half ago. Um, His playing time had been reduced. He hadn't been playing well. And in the moment, it, it really appeared as if Duke had no chance of making the NCAA tournament. So he opted out. And I just said, look, um, and I said this on the radio show, and I think that Steve was responding to my, my um, segment and discussing Jalen Johnson on the radio show. And I just said that um, I'll concede that I don't have all the information. I mean, there could be a real circumstance here where it makes sense. But if he's opting out because his team's not going to make the tournament and he is, you know, sort of butthurt about his, his uh, reduction in playing time, then he's a quitter, period. He's a quitter. And Jim Beheim, who, by the way, is very good friends with Coach Krzyzewski. Now, the Duke you know, side of it, they took the right strategy and they took the high road and said, after discussion with Jalen and his parents, you know, we, we give him all the support, yada, yada, yada. Uh, obviously, they could care less that he left, and they're probably happy that he left there. They've played much better since he left. and they They've actually, had two big wins since he left. Yeah, they beat Virginia on Saturday night, and they're actually back into the discussion of, of potentially being an at-large team. But Jim Beheim came out and was a bit critical of Jalen Johnson. And trust me, the fact that Bayheim did that, he's going to bat for Shashevsky. Okay. Remember, they were coaches together on the Olympic teams and they're 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 very good friends, very close. And so he was sort of taking, you know, he was able to do it publicly. Shashevsky wasn't. Now he backtracked it a little bit, but whatever. Again, I'll concede that I don't have all the information. And for all I know, you know, there was an abusive situation, something was really terrible, or he's got a family situation. So if that's if that's true, how but for the moment, let's just assume that his team sucked. He didn't like that he was getting you know less playing time, and he just decided, I'm ready to move on, start getting ready for the NBA draft. Well, that is quitting. And by the way, there's nothing in the definition of quitting, Steve, that says you've got to get paid. That, that you're, it, It's a job that you're being compensated for. I mean, how many life lessons do you as parents out there you know, try to give your kids about, hey, you start something, you finish it, period. You don't quit. You don't quit. You you know what? You don't like the piano lessons? You're signed up for 10 of them. You're going to do all 10 of them. You started it. You're going to finish it. Now, obviously, all of us as parents, if the kid, if, if there's some sort of situation that's unhealthy, you're not, obviously, you're going to pull the kid out of it. But if, you know, all is well, and I don't think Coach K is abusive, and I don't think that their training staff is, is you know, terrible, um, you finish what you start. You know, Zion Williamson, remember when he blew his sneaker out in the game against Carolina and got injured and missed a bunch of games, and everybody was saying, he shouldn't come back. He owes Duke nothing. He doesn't have to come back and play for them. And he just said to everybody, what are you talking about? I came to Duke to play. 
I came to I came to Duke to play for uh, Coach K and to play against North Carolina in these big games. And he came back and played, and they got to the Elite Eight, lost a great game to Michigan State at Verizon Center. Like, you know what? He wanted to play – did he Did he put himself potentially at risk of a serious injury? Yeah, he did, I guess. He wanted to play. He, he made a commitment. He lived up to his commitment. Jalen Johnson didn't. But those of you that think that somehow quitting is – like, you, quitting is only something you can do if you're being compensated. Uh, no, that's not true. Not even by definition. Number two is this. When you say Duke – he owes Duke nothing – how many of you knew who Jalen Johnson was before this year? If you're if you're a college basketball fan, like just a casual college basketball fan, uh, the the answer is probably none of you, and that's sort of the point, Cooley. I know you and I have had this conversation in shows in the past when we've done shows about paying college athletes or not paying college athletes, and I've never been in favor of paying college athletes. I'm in favor of giving them things like increased stipends and allowing them to perhaps benefit off of their likeness or from autograph shows and different things like that. That's fine. You know, even some level of, you know, endorsement stuff, as long as it doesn't create a huge advantage for one school over the other. But here, Cooley, is the study that I want to see done. Forget about tuition, room, board, free coaching, free training, free food, free medical, free all of that that you get in college. Here's the study that I want to see. I want to see somebody do a study that quantifies the value of college sports as a marketing platform for these individual players. Mm -hmm. Because I'll give you just a couple of examples, okay? First of all, you don't think Zion Williamson Zion Williamson actually would be an example of a guy that a lot of people knew before he got to Duke because he was an internet sensation. But still, you don't think playing at Duke and those games, remember how he was the story, you don't think it helped him with things like endorsements, et cetera? He may have still been the number one pick. But let me give you better examples. From the 2019 draft, um, DeAndre Hunter, who played for Virginia, ended up being the number four pick in the draft. They won the national championship um, that year. Um, Jarrett Culver, who played for Texas Tech, went number six um, overall um, uh, in, in the NBA draft. Do you think that anybody really knew who these players were? They w- would have been drafted um, in the same spots that they got drafted at without playing in the ACC, without playing in the Final Four, without playing in the tournament, without having their personal profile raised. Let me give you an example from that draft. DeAndre Hunter got picked fourth overall. His base salary in his rookie year was $7 million. Jarrett Culver got picked sixth overall. His base salary was $5.8 million. If they don't play college basketball, do you really think they're picked that high? No is the answer to that. Let's say they go end of the first round. There can be like a 5 to $6 million a year one difference. Forget about the total aggregate of a three- or four-year deal. Just in that first year alone, what about endorsement opportunities that these players get because they're high profile coming out of you know the ACC, playing in the tournament, playing on television, becoming stars? Because the platform of college basketball provides that as, that as an opportunity. Somebody give me and quantify wh- how much more they earn when they come out of college basketball versus if they were to go 
overseas and then get drafted. Or if they were to say, yeah, I'm not going to play. I'm going to take the one year off and Uncle Charlie's going to coach me up and we're going to be working out, you know, in the gym. I'm going to be working with various trainers and then I'm going to go to the NBA, you know, draft camps. This is this is real money, like significant money. I'm always surprised at those that argue that there's no value, that it's a one-sided value proposition between schools and athletes. And by the way, Cooley, the athlete that never becomes pro, which is 99% of them, do you know how many of them, you probably experience this, how many of them, because of their affiliation with that university and the fact that they played sports and were good, will get a job interview over somebody that, that, that the company's never heard of? that'll get an opportunity in a professional environment because they played basketball at Duke or at North Carolina or Kansas? I mean, basketball in general or another sport, a lot of people who run businesses like people who played college sports exactly. if they finished college true, true about because that they know that they can, they can compete. Yep. You know, this is an interesting thing with Jalen Johnson because this is the new norm his path, it, this is all his dad or his parents. If you look through his high school, he went to Madison East High School in Wisconsin, and then after his sophomore year, transferred to be a part of a super team at Nicolette High School in Glendale, Wisconsin, and then transferred to IMG after that. And then he's a, then he didn't play at IMG, and it's just like his parents are just moving him. It's just this constant alignment to get him into the league. It has nothing to do with loving basketball. He's really good at it. But he's probably never been taught to just play and love basketball. Right. That's it's why I love been, Zion. I, that, that's why I love the Zion Williamson story. Was, right? no, no doubt. Does he love it? I mean, we we went through a guy that in D.C. that I Josh Doxson was as talented as a receiver as you saw at a Texas Tech. What was that? His second or third school? I mean, just it's funny. Dude. Like he didn't love it. It's easy. Kids don't love it. How good are they after three or four more years? Jalen Johnson's talented. Big kid can play. But, I mean, when you say quit, it it could just be dad told him we're going to sit down for the rest of the year. We're good enough to get in the league now. I I know that. But it's it's just a terrible – I don't want to say terrible. My daughter's in swimming, and she hates it right now because the pool's cold. (laughs) <laughs> She's the youngest kid, and it's hard for her. Yeah. And? She doesn't want to go to swimming. And how are you handling it? She goes to swimming. Yeah. We signed up. She's doing it. She's good at it. I don't care that one aspect is not in her favor. It's a little cold in the pool. It's not that cold in the pool. <laughs> it's a little hard. <laughs> you have to learn to fight through it. Yeah. We're not, we're not quitting. We're not. Yeah. We went skiing two weeks ago, and the first two runs, she was panicked. So I want to go home. That's great. We got four more hours. We can't. You wanted to come. You wanted skis. We got them. You're skiing. Figure it out. Be tough. This is a parent thing. And, so and Kev, it is quitting. Well, we here here. There's a reason. I mean, obviously I, they have. Yeah. They're not just butt hurt and done. I mean, they are, but they think that there's another step, and that. Quitting is in their favor to the next step, but he's quitting. I'm I'm totally the craziest thing is like, sorry, I no, cut you off again, please but go. The craziest thing is, uh, to some extent, 
I really do understand college football when it's not the playoffs. You're going to play in the dot-com whatever bowl. I don't care if they play. The, it, the risk of some of the injury stuff is, is wild. But, God, the tournament is maybe the coolest possible event in all of sports. Yeah. Even if you're there for one year, the idea that you can – and that Duke and – they're talented enough. and they'll, they'll still have a chance to get in. And if he were to play well and play a role, to have a chance to win the tournament may be one of the coolest things in the world as an athlete. I mean, you know, that's one of those things where I would say to him, so if we, if you were having a really good season and we were on the verge of the tournament, you'd do the same thing? No, you probably wouldn't do it. Look, I, I'm, I, I, we don't ever have all the information in these things. And I, you know, there's a perspective here that I can totally try my best to understand and be very open-minded towards, and that is... And I don't know if this is his situation at all, but you take, you know, you take the kid that is from a very um, difficult background financially and otherwise, and he is the meal ticket. He's the meal ticket for the himself, the family, um, and they don't want to risk that. Like he did have a foot injury earlier in the year. He came back. He hasn't played well. They don't want him to go out and risk not playing well or not getting enough time or being downgraded in the draft and you know losing millions of dollars. I think I understand that if I had that perspective, I would be more, much more protective of that. Okay, I do. But but at the same time, you know, the bottom line is that's not. There's a little bit of adversity here. And overcoming that adversity can pay off in a much bigger way down the road as well. And you're going to be evaluated in the decisions you make right now by those people who will eventually choose or choose not to pay you. I, look, it's, it's, it's very complicated. It's funny about this, the Sloan thing, about the pool. Um, because I've certainly been in a situation as a parent with sports in particular, and I've just made them sorry you're finishing this, you're doing this, you're going to finish it. You're going to, you made a commitment, you signed up by the way you signed up and they would have taken somebody else for your spot, you know, and you know, whether it's true or not, and you have a commitment that you're going to live up to. And obviously if you're a parent, you have to, you know, you have to investigate the situation to make sure that your son or daughter doesn't hate it because something actually untoward is happening. And you have to be careful in this day and age. You don't know. Um, but when you're pretty sure that it's just that they want to quit, you know, my position, and it sounds like yours, is, you know, uh, sorry, um, that's not an option in the Cooley household. Um, so I did want to mention this one thing, and, and I, I do think that there are times where you're like, yeah, okay, uh, it's not worth it. And I'm going to give you the example. My oldest hated CCD. You know what CCD is for Catholics, right? No. CCD is basically um, religious classes when you don't okay. go to a Catholic school. So when okay. he was young, he was not in, he ended up going to Catholic school from grades three through high school, but he was not in Catholic school as a very young kid. And so to get religion classes, you, de you do a thing called CCD, which is usually Sunday mornings before or after church. Okay. Well, he hated it. And it was a very traumatic thing for him. For whatever reason, he just didn't want to do it. 
and he would get incredibly angst-ridden over it, and it would be Saturday night, and he was already talking about getting, and he was angst-ridden over going to CCD, and I'd be, and I was doing the whole thing, oh, it'll be fine, because after church, we'll get donuts, and then I'll drop you off, and it's only an hour, and, and I'll sit outside and, and wait for you. And by the way, I did every Sunday with a couple of other parents who had the same issues with their daughters and or sons. And, and so anyway, I remember at some point with the next two boys, the next one wasn't an issue. The third one became an issue with CCD again. And you know what I did? I just said, F it. It's just not, it's just not that important. And I mean, they, they're going to end up in a school more likely than not that'll have religion and they'll still get first communion and they'll still be confirmed and they'll still, I mean, uh, you know, all of the sacraments they'll end up getting if you're, you know, if you're a Catholic, you know what I'm talking about. And I just remember with the first one, I regret putting him through that. I reg- it wasn't, he didn't commit to it. He didn't want to do it. It wasn't something that he started that he had to finish. I was making him do it and it was a total source of anxiety and you know there was sort of a sense of I think accomplishment when he got through it and I would be sitting there waiting for him you know he's five six years old whatever it was it just definitely wasn't worth it so when I got to my second and third I remember thinking yeah not even worth it and by the way it was always a pain in the ass for me too right because i had to sit around so selfishly it's like yeah let's bail on this and then um we had a wonderful wonderful um uh teacher uh, sister roberta who would call me and say kevin where was where was ryan today yeah sister we're kind of bailing on this stuff now all right, well, look, he's still, uh, can, can he just do a couple of these assignments so we can get him through for his first communion? I'm like, yeah, we'll do that. She was the best. Um, but that was one that I remember sort of regretting. I probably should have just bailed with him. It was, pr- it's probably, it probably scarred him somehow. Like I'm always, I always feel guilty about how incredibly upset he would get. And then I'd be like, oh God. And then he would really try to toughen up and brave it out. And he would, and he would make it, but was it really worth it? What do you think? Well, it's just a, it's if it's just because you and your wife are telling me he's got to go. I mean, yeah. Well, because we had done it, and we were raising our kids when in the Catholic Church, which we did, and CCD when they weren't, you know, was a part of what it was. I did not go to Catholic school. I went to public school, but I had to do CCD. So I just figured, well, my kids are going to do it too. Anyway, whatever. I think that I think those are always interesting situations for parents because I'm sure many out there are saying, "Oh my god, I had a similar situation and it's like, you know, do you there there are certain things I think it's that they, you know, they didn't sign up for, they didn't commit to that maybe it's actually better, you know, you, you cut your losses. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I guess you're I don't know. I just I just if they're doing something that they wanted to do which I think basketball would be one of those things that you you would want to do and and they initially committed to it and they showed interest then they can finish what they're doing. Right. All right. I I think that's I think that's the easiest way for me to think about it. Yeah. I, I read this, like I read the Urban Meyer book. I've been reading, I've re- 
been reading a lot lately, but essentially, I guess he was playing baseball in college and he wanted to be done. He called his parents and his dad said, that's fine, but don't come home. <laughs> I don't know if I'd do that to my kids. They quit college sports. Hey, yeah, quit. That's fine, but you can't come into my house anymore. Oh, I mean, I think that's harsh too, obviously, but I think that they're, you know, look, there, there, there aren't, not everybody has, none of us have all the answers when it comes to this stuff. The Jalen Johnson thing to me just reeked of his playing time had been cut. He'd been to three high schools, as you described, that this was just sort of his MO and, and, you know. I think you more than anybody else in my life over the last 10 years, when it comes to talking about like sports and the acquisition of players have, it's really, you've got to, you've, your due diligence on the character and the want to and the joy and how much they love it is so important. Look at how many players Washington's failed on in acquiring and, you know, th- this is where I actually have great belief in Ron Rivera. I do. I have a feeling he's good at picking people that fit into a culture of character, team first, you know, um, more about us, less about me kind of a thing. That's why I think, you know, a guy like John Allen, who are fans, you know John really well, our fans think should be included in a trade like he's the first one. I would almost bet, I'd bet anybody a hundred bucks that he gets signed to a contract extension. I don't know anything, but he is, as you know, he's like the perfect culture character player you want. And by the way, he's good. He's really good. I think he's like a, like a glue player. If that makes sense. Yeah. He holds stuff together. He, he does. He's so much of that type of guy that he keeps other guys accountable. And he's good enough that he's, I mean, he's really good. And it takes, a, in my opinion, it takes a guy to be really good to have that kind of leadership aspect. But if he is really good and has that aspect, think of how much better he makes certain other guys. When you have guys that you play and practice for, because you don't want to let guys like John Allen down. You, you just you get better. I, to me, it's it's imperative. And if I'm coaching in the league, if I'm a head coach right now, and I'm committing everything to this team, and I'm committing everything to my coaches and my players, I, it's I want it. I want guys that want to be there that care. That makes it worth it. Makes what you do. Obviously, the money does. But God, these guys commit so much. That's what makes it worth it. When you have Guys that care. So true. All right. I want to tell you that uh, today's podcast is presented by Window Nation. Window Nation's virtual home show extravaganza sale is underway. If you've been thinking about new windows, please give Window Nation a shot. I promise you that it will work out. But here's the thing. There's no risk. Like you can get a free quote, free estimate, and then choose what you want to do once you have that free estimate. Right now, their home show extravaganza sale, which is virtual, and you can find it at windownation.com uh, slash home show. It, it includes the following two offers rolled into one. Get two free windows for every two you buy with no limit. So you're paying half price on the windows. And then you don't have to make any down payment. You don't have to make any payments. And you don't have to pay interest for two 
full years. So you're going to pay, by the time you make your first payment, it's going to be half price on the windows and it's not going to cost you a penny in interest. You'll save thousands on just that alone and you'll save big on energy bills, both in winter and summer. Harley and Aaron are the two founders of Window Nation. Um, They're friends of mine. Uh, I talk to Harley all the time. Two great entrepreneurs. They started this business over 20 years ago. Uh, This year alone, Window Nation's installed 200,000 windows, 40 times more than the average window company. 99.5% of them required no follow-up service. Uh, I wouldn't endorse them as I have for over a decade now, if I didn't have complete trust in them, call them at eight, six, six, 90 nation, or go to windownation.com slash home show. It's window nation's virtual home show extravaganza sale. Get two free windows with every two you buy, make no down payment, make no payments and pay no interest for two full years. You will save thousands. 86690nation or windownation.com slash home show and make sure you tell them that I told you to call uh, or reach out. Um, all right, two two things I want to get to football-wise. Number one, tomorrow is the first day that you can use the franchise tag, Cooley. Tomorrow through March 9th. And of course, all of the talk as far as Washington goes is what's going to happen with Brandon Sheriff? You know, are they going to tag him for a second straight year? By the way, if they tag him tomorrow in the next couple of days, it doesn't mean that they're not going to get a long-term deal done. Brandon Brooks owns currently the highest average annual salary at $14.6 million or whatever it is. The only other guard out there is Joe Thune. A lot of people think um, that he's got a big chance to get a big deal. Sheriff wants to break the bank. He wants probably $15 million a year plus. Um, how much uh, of that would be guaranteed, do you think? What well, sheriff? I think you're in the mid to high forties. Forty percent. Sorry, percentage wise. Uh, well, Brooks's deal last year was fifty six three point three five. No, that wasn't guaranteed. That was the total aggregate. Thirty million was guaranteed. Okay, so let's call it forty million guaranteed. I'm going to give you my quick take, and then I want your more lengthy take on this. I think Brandon Sheriff's really good. Um, I think he's one of the better guards in the league. I would really like to have him on the team. I think he's a perfect culture fit, the whole thing. Um, and I also um, think that like he's the kind of guy that you want on your team um, because, like we said about John Allen, sort of the leader, high character, perfect for the culture, really good player. With that said, he's missed 16 games in the last three years. 16. He's missed a third of the potential games he could have played in over the last three years. And the position is guard. So... I don't know how high I would go. Um, By the way, I'm surprised they haven't gotten a deal done with him already. I don't know why they haven't. The the reporting from Nikki Javala from the Washington Post is they're about to enter into discussions. I don't know why they've waited until now. Um, I, you know, for him, the franchise tags 120% above, he'd get 18 million next year. You don't want to do that, right? You don't want him to play on a one-year tag for $18 million, I don't think. Um, I, I don't believe that it's an absolute 100% lock that they get a long-term deal done with Brandon Sheriff. By the way, the first first-team All-Pro for this franchise since Matt Turk in 1996. But I don't really care about that. I know he's a good player. I know he's a good player. He's also a guard, and he's also not available a lot. 
You say what? Eric Flowers has a $30 million contract for Miami. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so there's a – like the school of thoughts on this are crazy. One, back to drafting Brandon Sheriff. I I hate drafting the guard in your top five picks because when he – Ends up performing really well, then you got to pay a guard a seventy million dollar contract. Um, and when you look at guards throughout the league, it's crazy because we—I think you and I did this a couple of years ago, or I did it on the show—and it's like starting guards across the league range from first to seventh round to undrafted free agents, like Andrew Norwell, who was in Carolina, was an undrafted free agent. Right. It, there, there's no necessarily sorry, rhyme or reason to say the best 10 guards are first rounders. The best 10 guards are everywhere in the league in terms of where you draft these guys. It, it's wild how that works out. They're protected on either side with the center and the tackle. The thing is, the, the new norm in the NFL is – these dominant elite interior defensive linemen, not just these big fatties that are run stoppers. You're getting pass rushers. You're getting guys that can really move. And so you're countering that with better guards. I just hate paying a guard that much money. I, I do. Um, where it gets interesting with Brandon, I watched him practice for two years every day. I know. There's n- He's incredible. Yeah. Watching him move is different than watching anybody else besides – Trent Williams, who had been there when I was there, and obviously everyone knows Trent. Trent Williams is the only other guy that I've really seen practice like that, move like that. Brandon Sheriff is a hard worker, man. Every day brings it, works, leads, does what he's expected to do. He just hasn't been elite yet. I know he's a first-team All-Pro, but he wasn't. I don't know if I'd buy that. I'm watching every game of film. I didn't watch enough other guards, but yeah. – I, I think he's really, really good. He's no Quentin he's, Nelson. Qu- I think he's right there in the top 10 guards Ooh. in the league. Cooley, think about what you just said. Top 10? He was a first-team All-Pro. I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Okay, but if you believe that, like then you're not... it out. He, he, Trent Williams, when, you, when he played in those couple years when I started grading film, it was like there was everybody and then there was Trent Williams. Brandon is, there's everybody. He fits in that, there's everybody. He usually grades a little bit higher, but it's never elite, elite, week in and week out. He has down weeks. And it's probably because he's banged up a lot. And he plays through that, which you love, when he can. I I think the problem with not getting a deal done to this point with Sheriff is everybody watching this dude right now is saying, we want you to fit into that normal guard deal that everybody's been taking and it might not be the highest paid guy and he's saying okay well i was first team all pro and you're gonna make me the highest paid guard i i just top 10 like yeah seriously there are people out there going top 10 he's got to be one of the best two or three guards in the game that's what our fans i mean okay let's look through the guards i mean i i quentin nelson isn't quentin nelson's a top 10 player in the league so nobody is in his class at guard. Nobody. He's no. the when he, Norwell got paid two years ago. He went through a season where he didn't allow one sack. Mm-hmm. Brandon doesn't have those type of years. Brandon's violent and can really can really make your run game work, though. I don't want to tag him. I don't want to pay him eighteen. I don't necessarily want. I don't know. Do, do you want to pay him fifteen million dollars a year? 
I mean, you just have so much cap space. That's the thing. I mean, and you're going to create more when you cut Alex or you restructure Alex. You're going to create more when you restructure Alex, and he's a glue player. I just mentioned that with Jonathan Allen. Yeah. He's a pro. He's a pro's pro, does it the right way, makes other players better. The thing is – because of all those things involved, I wish he was a left tackle that I was paying – He's a right guard. Well, you know, there is a left tackle available in free agency. He's 33 years old. He played for the 49ers last year. His mm-hmm. name's Trent Williams. Would you, I know. Uh, would you rather play, pay Trent 19 a year, 20 a year, or Sheriff 15 a year? That's easy. I mean, the, the, yeah, it is easy, but the thing that scares me about Trent is – well, he's not coming back here. There's uh, your, your owner. Is he going to be happy enough to play? Yeah, the owner doesn't want him. Um, I don't know. What I would mean, be? What would be the? How would you? You got to pay him top dollar, if, based on the accolades and when he's playing at his best. He when he's at his best, he he is a top three guard. I know, but you just hate to pay the, him the top guard salary in the league and have him miss, you know, basically five, you know, and a third games per year. And I, he's 30. And he's 30. I mean, that's a good, good age. I mean, you know, I, I you reminded me of something. When I had Jay Gruden on last week, we were talking, you know, I, I mentioned the time where he said, we got, you know, Josh Doxson and a guard. Remember that kind of the way he, he said it that day and talking about McLuhan? He said, McLuhan told me we had Morgan Moses' replacement. He said, we drafted Brandon Sheriff to be our right tackle. And he said it was one day and we realized no chance he could play tackle. He's not a tackle, he's a guard. We were there that day. I know. But McLuhan was drafting him where he drafted him thinking that he was going to be a tackle. I think that I do think they knew he could play guard if they had to fall back on that. Right. I, this is the whole thing's so crazy because how quickly contracts have escalated in the last ten years. Yeah, but now we've got a, now we've got a, a reduced salary cap number. I don't know how that will impact you know the deal. I mean, the teams can obviously cry poor here in 2021 with a lowered salary cap. The problem is is on a long-term deal, it's going to probably, when fans are allowed back it's go- and, and the new TV deal is done, it's going to increase significantly. Like it's coming down to a floor of 180 or whatever they announced last week, and it's going to be 230 in two years. I, I mean, I'm just guessing there. Um, look, I mean, you look at your cap room, you look at your cap space, you, you look where you're at, and you're not overpaying – offensive line to to a huge maximum you know you hate putting a huge percentage into your cap into just offensive line because you you want to have that cycle of you you've got a guy that you drafted you you have maybe a free agent that you didn't have to overpay for i i think that i'm making a really really good offer for brandon sheriff and i think if he's not willing to take it i'd Probably let him walk. Oof. <laughs> I'm not. And who who plays his position? Uh, Standing was t- reminding me this morning that there was discussion about Sadiq Charles being able to play guard as well, and so you know maybe. Yeah, then you, you're just short. You're short for sure. Left tackle. They like Sadiq Charles. Yeah, he's an athlete. He can play. 
you're not going to get as good a player as Brandon Sheriff. And I don't know if you can afford to lose an offensive lineman. It's a tough deal. But what's he what's he going to get? You know? Right. Um Wait, is it 16 I'm not paying him 16 million dollars a year. It's crazy. So um the uh just one last thing on the franchise tag. The, the the big thing is what does Dallas do with Prescott? Obviously, this is I think this is such an interesting situation to consider because Dak has all the leverage. I mean, he just has all the leverage. He's got leverage that he he didn't even anticipate having by getting hurt and having the team suck so badly without him offensively, which just added to it. But, man, you know, they just – you cannot let – the quarterback that you think is your franchise quarterback, you cannot let him start down the franchise tag path because each year he creates more leverage and it becomes exponentially more expensive. I I mean, I can't imagine that the Cowboys lose him even if they had to franchise tag him for this year because I bet you they think with him playing this year, they can win 11 games and, and make a run. You know, in 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 the in the postseason, if he's healthy for all of them, you know, they're not letting him walk into free agency. No chance. Do you agree with that? I don't think there's any chance that that. I think worst case, they tag him and he plays. You know, the year uh, uh, one more year into the tag, and then they lose him next year. Um, they could. I mean, they just they can't. They can't let him go. They 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 need him, and they they could be a very good team next year with him. They would be a very good team with him next year. And he's beloved in Dallas. I think he's everything you want as a leader. He's developed and grown so much as a quarterback. What I think they were offering him something like $35 million a year. Yeah. Was that offer? Yeah, right. You know more about Dak Prescott if you're there. I'll tell you one thing right now. If you, if you were to – Make him the offer that he wants. It comes with the caveat of, just so you know, there's no Deshaun Watson clause here. Okay, you're not going to run this team. You're not going to run this organization. You're going to do your job. Well, he hasn't asked for it. I know because he hasn't had that money to ask for it. Yeah, um, Allen Robinson. I'm reading more and more. Chicago is going to tag him. He's not going to be happy about it, but you know what? They'd be smart to do that. What else do they have other than Montgomery? They have two players, you know, on a team that's good enough defensively to be well, they were. They were a playoff team because of their defense. You know, I, I know a lot of uh, fans, me included, would be very interested in Allen Robinson and free agency, but I I bet you the Bears tag him. I would tag him if I was Chicago. I would just work at a deal with him, but that that might not be an option because he not, might not want to be in Chicago. Exactly. Uh, Allen Robinson certainly wants to play for a team that has a a really good quarterback. Now maybe Chicago has plans to get a quarterback, and when they tag him, they're going to say, "Hey, look, we're going to get you your guy, and we'll work out the deal when we get you your guy." It's not going to be fools, right? But it, 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 what do they have? They have like I think they had Riley Ridley, Daryl, Darnell Mooney. Uh, Cordero Patterson is not a big time receiver. He's a return guy. They didn't. They have, have nothing. They need him. Well, they had. They had their slot guy was the guy I like, Miller. 
Anthony, uh, Anthony Miller out yeah. of yeah. SMU, right? Yeah. No, no, no. Out or of Memphis. He Memphis. was Antonio Gibson's teammate. And then they right. had the he, guy he, that he, dropped the bomb in the playoff. Wim Wims. Yeah. And they have. I mean, they they drafted Cole Kmet early last year from Notre Dame, the tight end. He actually looked really good at times for them. I Cole Kmet was, I thought, hands down the best tight end out of the draft last year. Right. So, I don't. I would tag him. Yeah, it I mean, just, it, it's such a hard deal. One, it's crazy to me. Like a guy like Allen Robinson's made pretty good money, and then. What's the? I know he doesn't want to be tag. There's some weird disrespect to the tag, which is not why the tag was created for players to feel disrespected. Them to get paid the top five in that year, all guaranteed at their position. Yeah. And what's the receiver tag number this year? Uh, I don't know. I can look it up. Hold on. I mean it. Uh, fifteen point six million dollars. Sixteen point four for twenty twenty one. Oh, I'm looking at this now. That says seventeen point eight. Uh, I've got sixteen point four franchise tag for seven. Greer tweeted out. Oh, you're oh, right. You're 20. right. That, I just see yeah. that. I see that too. Updated two days ago with the new because the because the floor went up a little bit. So yeah, seventeen point eight eight. Um, you can't lose him. I wouldn't lose him if I was Chicago. He's instrumental to my offense if I'm Chicago. Um, and if I was – trust me. If I was Alan Robinson, you said, hey, we'll guarantee $18 million for this year. Okay. Let's do one more. Well, remember, you know – that That's going to get it done for life for me. Sorry for bringing this name up for the second straight podcast because we usually don't do it. But remember what old, you know, old Mr. Cousins said. He said, the franchise tag can be your friend. And it was for him. It's not the worst thing in the world. For a receiver, almost $18 million? Yeah, I think it's your friend. I mean, Dak Prescott, I'd be shocked if Jerry doesn't figure this out. And by the way, I think Prescott should want to play in Dallas. They've got weapons. I mean, they if they – first of all, they're going to be better coached defensively with Dan Quinn. Secondly, they actually had a little bit more talent, and they were banged up on defense. We know they were banged up along the offensive line. Um, I don't know. I mean, I look at them, and I'm and I really think that I understand why Dallas is the favorite to win the division. I totally get it. I, the assumption, obviously, is Prescott, not Dalton, or you know somebody else, or or the guy from JMU. Um, <laughs> JMU uh, is his name. Danucci. 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 I the, the, no, I'm. I'm just not paying him Mahomes money. No, no. Or, he's going to want or Deshaun Watson. In the middle, by the way, but he's going to want more than Deshaun Watson got. By the way, he's not better than Deshaun Watson. Sorry, he's not. And I know that there's a comparison in the styles of play. Watson's better. Well, they're offering him more than Russell Wilson's contract. Okay, well that's because of his age. So I, Watson's yeah. a better. You do you agree with me? Yes or no? Watson's a better player than Prescott. I would agree with you. Do you know cool? But I think at this, I think Watson will. And last year, if you were to say one quarterback to win any game, I would have put Dak right there with Watson. To develop in the next three years, I think Watson's on a path to develop to be a guy that could be elite, elite, elite. I don't. I. I, I would not put Prescott ahead of Watson in any category. I like Watson more. I mean, I, look at and I like Prescott. And I like Prescott. Prescott was doing. 
Do you remember I mean, Prescott was doing three dudes though, like three legit dudes at receiver? Do you remember me telling you when he was at the beginning of his final year at Mississippi State that he was going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL? Dak Prescott before anybody really knew who he was. Yeah. Um, just just wanted to mention that uh, the the um, Watson's better. You know the other thing too. I, I Prescott's one of those guys that over the years. Look, they've had they've had some teams that have had some issues defensively. Although the team a couple of years ago, I think, was really good defensively. The team that won the division and lost to the Rams in the postseason after beating was it Seattle? They beat. Didn't they beat Seattle? Yeah, it was the year that it, they beat the Seattle. Rams came out and said we knew what their stunts were. Right, exactly. And the Rams ran the ball down their throat. But that was the team. Remember, they played New Orleans on a Thursday night, and they held New Orleans to like you know ten points. It was like a thirteen to ten game. There were some really good offensive teams that they held back, like Atlanta, um, and like the, the the defense stepped up that year. And there were some games. Prescott was was really good. He also had some games I remember that were dreadful um, in losses. His uh, second year, I think it was, he couldn't beat a good team. Um, I think it, what, what was his rookie year? Was it 2016 or 2017? 2016. 2016. There I was a so. year the se- whatever the first year he started was the first year that he started in, and they were good on defense. They were really good on defense. He could not beat a good defensive team, but uh, but he's beyond that. What am I even? I thought about? he. I thought it was a slow go with Dak. They were they were really really simplistic that, in the first couple of years. That's they what had I, to develop yeah. him. Yep, and they did. Jason Garrett. And I think did, I at guess. this point, watching him this year before he was hurt, he saw the field. Yeah. Um, last thing before we go, and let me first tell you about my bookie, mybookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin DC. They'll they'll uh, match your deposit halfway up to a thousand bucks. So if you want to start betting some college hoops, get you ready for the tournament and March Madness will be here before we know it, and it's going to happen this year. Um, all of the venues will be in the state of Indiana. Um, and by the way, they're going to allow fans in for these tournament games. Are estimating twenty to twenty-five percent fan attendance per venue for the NCAA tournament. So, if you want to get yourself in position to bet not only in the games in the NCAA tournament March Madness, but prop bets on teams, go to my bookie, mybookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin DC, and they'll match your deposit halfway up to a thousand dollars. Totally worth it. Totally safe. You get paid if you win good pricing good lines fair everything um and again if you have a site that you're using already take the free money and use it as a comparison shopping destination and and they'll give you i mean i use my bookie all the time to comparison shop on lines there have been lots of times where their lines are much better than another site that i might have um, my bookie, mybookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin DC. They'll match your deposit halfway up to a thousand dollars. All right. Last thing that I wanted to mention is that Peter King put out. Um, uh, I, I don't even. Peter King, I think, does his own website. I don't think it's Monday Morning Quarterback anymore. Anyway, he did a whole thing on Deshaun Watson <clears throat> and all the different deals that could happen for Deshaun Watson. Um, and he had for Washington the following. Washington is intriguing because of its strong young defense. 
But Washington might have to trade off too much of what makes it an attractive future team. Chase Young and another promising youngster. As well as it's as well as three or four very high picks. Not impossible, but a major challenge, and I bet Houston would have better offers. Um I, I I don't know what those three or four. <clears throat> I mean, we've already talked about it. I think it's I think for Washington, if Watson becomes available, and I don't think he will be. And by the way, apparently already today, Houston said I don't think it was in a reaction to Peter King's column. I think they they came out and said no, we're not trading him. Make sure everybody understands he is not available. Um, if he became available, if it became an untenable situation, and he were available. I think Washington, based on where their first-rounder is this year, where their first-rounder would be projected to be next year with him, um, I think it's two firsts, two seconds, and two players, and one of them would have to be Chase Young, period. I think that would be the price, and I think Peter King's right. I think even with that, and he says two young players plus three or four very high picks, which would sort of fit the two firsts, two seconds, two players, right? Um, I, I still think it won't be enough. I think the Jets with two first-round picks, you know, the the Dolphins with two first-round picks. And and both of those teams have a quarterback to give. And they both have quarterbacks to give. Exactly. That's the other thing. Right. Like, Washington, who they – wouldn't they ship over their Heineke? (laughs) Well, some people would say, no, don't do that. We need him. We don't need Watson. God, I, they're not getting him. I, I mean, they're just, they're not. They're not going to be able no. to put it together. They'd have to give away everything. Yes. I mean, there was a And it won't be enough. Deal with like. It won't be enough. McCaffrey, Bridgewater, draft picks. Like half of Carolina's team in draft picks. Right. You're not going to get there. Oh, by the way, as part of this story, he did say that two teams have already reached out and made offers to Houston. And Houston's saying, you know, we're not doing anything. And he said, I'd be very surprised if the Panthers haven't made an offer. Um, you know, they they want to – I mean, like the Panthers want a quarterback, obviously, which means Bridgewater is also available. Um, I, I, I just don't – I mean, I, I feel like we keep beating the same dead horse and I don't want to keep doing it. I just don't think he's going to get traded. Period. I just don't think I don't think it makes sense for Houston to trade him. And if you say, well, it doesn't make sense for them not to trade him and have him hold out. Um, how long is he going to hold out for? Four years? I just have seen I've seen this a couple times in Washington play out. One with the cousin stuff, and another with the Cousins Trent Williams stuff. Out. And I know, but in general, like getting paid, this it becomes competitive for the team as well. Like we're not going to lose to you. Yeah, well, that's you're not going to tell the, us. That's because of the team president's disposition on all this stuff. But in general, these situations become competitive with the team. Yeah, they with can this, with dysfunctional teams, and Houston's dysfunctional. To your point, I mean, Houston's got new dudes across the board. But can you imagine? You're a new GM and a new head coach, and you're sitting there in a meeting like, why would we give him away? He's He should be one of the best three quarterbacks in the league. We win because we have a top 10 quarterback, and especially if we have a top five quarterback, we should be in the playoffs every year. What are we going to do giving him away? This is ridiculous. We're not. We, we came here with the idea that he'd be here. Like, no. How about, how about no? We're not. <laughs> I mean, it's 
I mean, I, the only way this ends up happening is if the owner just basically says, you're doing it. Because right. if you're a GM or a coach, you're not giving away this guy. No chance. You know, we didn't. We talked about the Carson Wentz deal on Friday, but I just wanted to add this this wrinkle to it. Um, I don't know if you thought about it a little bit more, but I actually think the Eagles did pretty well on the deal. I think you know, getting a, a third this year and maybe a first next year. Well, almost a, definitely a first next year is not bad for Carson Wentz, given that there may have only been one team interested. And I also think that, you know, the Stafford deal, because of the haul that Detroit got back for Stafford, what what happens is it's perceived right now the quarterback market is a seller's market. So that means, you know, people that you're not even thinking of could potentially be available. You know, so I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely think that like the Jets saying last week, or the report from the guy from the um, Sportsnet, uh, Ralph Vacchiano, saying that the Jets, you know, need a second and a mid-round pick for Darnold. If you can get Sam Darnold for a second and mid-round pick, that's what I said last week. I mean, I, I'll take it right. Give Let's him to roll. me right now, right we'll, now. We'll take that risk. I just think it's a seller's market, and he ain't going for a second and a mid-rounder. I mean, yeah, but. Is- we talked about this as it nears the draft. He after a draft after they draft, where is he going? I don't the know. Four, the four teams for sure that want dudes are going to draft dudes in the first round. That makes the four highest bidders. It takes the four highest bidders off the table, not available to go to those teams. If you're Washington, you're sitting there going, "Let's wait till after the draft. Jets are going to draft a dude." We'll wait till after the draft. I'll tell you one thing with this seller's market to keep an eye on. Second time I've mentioned his name on the show. Um, the guy that used to play here in 2015, 2016, and 2017. Because San Francisco and Denver, they could really, really ratchet up a price that Minnesota might not be able to turn down. You got Denver, who's already, there have already been reports about how much George Payton loves, you know, the former guy in Minnesota who's now their GM taking over for Elway, how much he loves Kirk. And then we know what Shanahan thinks of him. And you get two, three teams involved in Minnesota, even though, uh, you know, now Garoppolo would be a part of that deal. I guess Drew Locke could potentially be a part of, of a Denver deal. Um, I think that a lot of, I think you're, you're going to see, it's it's going to be look. It's going to be wild here over the next you know couple of months. It's going to be wild. Like I know I said last week. Well, the only thing that's happened to Stafford. Well, now Wentz has happened, and you know if Watson became available, the kind of deal that could be in place. And I don't. And then you know the dra- I was reading something early this morning <clears throat> that a lot of teams all of a sudden love Mac Jones. Love him. He might end up going in the first six or seven picks. We always you know see why that, that with You know why that happens, right? I, to tell me why. Coaches watch film. <laughs> right. It's what makes the late jump happen. I uh, don't a lot of the interviews. Start watching don't film. the interviews do a lot with that too? The interviews definitely do a lot with it, but more importantly, the coaches watch film. I mean. We'll see because a lot of these guys are watching a lot of free agent tape, but any of these guys that are looking for quarterbacks and you were thinking you're anywhere from eight to 
20, you're watching Mac Jones. You got your staff in there watching Mac Jones. You're spending time. Yeah. But these coaches start watching the tape and go, he can play. And I watched, not film on Mac Jones, but I watched a couple games. He can make decisions. Now, the question I would, and it sucks for Mac Jones a little bit. It's like, you had two of the three best receivers in college football and two other really good ones. And your tight end can ball. And you had the best running game, I can imagine. And your offense was a machine. Was it you or was it the weapon? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's not like he was throwing into tight windows. Sometimes he can throw it into tight windows, but he also knows this guy's going to go in there and get it. And I've told you this a lot of times. I think Alabama does as good a job coaching wide receivers as any team in college football. They are they all come out technically sound. Yeah, you, you've said that before. God, I mean, Devontae Smith to me looks like as good a route runner as they've had there in a while. Hey, uh, one other quick thing before we wrap for the day, because this is, I mean, um, you know, Houston says, and they reiterated today, they're not trading Deshaun Watson. But if you're Nick Casario, the GM, you take every call, right? You take every call and you listen to every offer. I mean, there's nothing to lose. Yeah, no, especially for a new GM. You you don't want to disrespect offers from other GMs and other teams. You you want to have great great relationships with these guys. But, but beyond that, don't you want to hear what all the offers are? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it gives you a sense of I mean, you can't predict what is to come. I mean, I it sounds like they are really heels dug in on this, and I think they should be personally. I mean, here's the thing about Sean Watson. I, I I know we keep coming back to it, but why'd you sign the contract? I understand that's a lot of money, but you, DeAndre Hopkins had already been shipped out. You already knew it was a dysfunctional situation. You already knew Bill O'Brien more likely than not was a terrible GM and was headed towards, you know, being out of there. You know, why do you can't sign that deal? And then four months later, say you went out, not at that position in this league up here as coach Joe would say, by the way, speaking of coach Joe, did, did you, have you ever met his grandson, Ty? Yeah. Did you, you saw what happened, right? What he did this weekend? No. He won a NASCAR event, 18 years old. It's the it, the youngest to ever win a NASCAR event. Ty Gibbs, Joe's grandson. It was the interview, first of all, he's 18, he looks like he's 12. He became the first NASCAR the youngest NASCAR winner. Um, in his first race, Joe Gibbs celebrated his first NASCAR victory as a grandfather watching from the pits as 18-year-old Ty Gibbs won his Xfinity Series debut Saturday on the road course at Daytona. Um, it was, Gibbs became the youngest driver to win an Xfinity road race at 18 years, 4 months, 16 days. The record had been set by a 20-year-old. <laughs> it's crazy. Did you Do you know him? Yeah, Had you I met mean, him? I, I, yeah, I've met him. Yeah. I mean, I know you know a lot of the Gibbs people. No. Two of I, two of his other grandsons played football at App State. Okay. He's uh, – I mean, it's just uh, – like, but think of it. It's it's the amazing outliers theory. Uh, not to discount that he's a – Right. That he's got talent, but it's drive the best cars, have the best things, learn from the best people in the world 
from the time you're six. I mean, mm. the advantage of it is is massive. It's awesome, though. Um. God, what cool. else? What else is what, that theory that you said? Um, is that the um, Gladwell? Gladwell, yeah. So, what other what other outlier, um, amazing outlier theories are there? I, I think Patrick Mahomes is a perfect one because of professional athlete father. Yeah, guy that could play baseball taught him a million different ways to throw the ball. Like, money to work go to wherever he wanted to do have i don't know if he did or didn't but i mean that's lebron james son's gonna be a massive outlier theory it, it, would it start with like and it's not just the parent or money it's sort of like it was jobs and bill gates and or it was bill gates that lived right next to the washington campus right. the only campus University that had a computer right. and also he had to love it but he got to spend that much time when nobody else had access to him right Exactly, and like, it's kind of the idea that you're spending that much time without access. Yeah that 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 um that part of that story I've read before. Gates basically grew up next to the University of Washington. They had a shitload of computer, uh, uh, you know, sort of resources, and he had access to it at like a, at a super young age. He you obviously have to have an interest in it and, and a skill. Know, and and well, and the uh, the intelligence to do something with it from a business standpoint. No, I think another. Yeah, I think one of the other interesting ones when I read that book along. It's been a long time. Yeah, a massive percentage of NHL hockey players were born between Jan one and March thirty one or April fifteenth, something like that. What? Because the rollover date to be on the older club or the younger club was after that date. So you were the seven-year-old playing with the rest of the six-year-olds. Oh, so you were the old. So you were always you were the, the starter. The old, the you were always getting group. the most playing time. You were the <laughs> oh, bigger yeah. kid. You right. got the confidence. You got. You were always the one promoted. You know that's a that's actually a subject for another day. About, I'm doing it with my kids about the hold back and have your kid be the oldest and the confidence mm-hmm. that comes with that. Got that down. We're, we'll do it on Friday. Uh, I will. All right, thanks. This was this was different. Um, not really that different for you and me, but I know we didn't get to as much uh, sports as we normally do. Maybe but, we'll have some stories. But I am. Uh, but I wrote down very early in the show, which now seems like a couple of hours ago, that the title of today's show would be Aunt Cindy. <laughs> so, there, <laughs> so there you go. Have a great day. I'm back tomorrow with Tommy uh, Cooley. Have a good one.